Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. I keep my body under it and I fight it to keep it in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Ruth saw the cost of faithfulness and she's prepared to strive to the point of agony to pay the price, pay the cost of faithfulness to Naomi and God. So as we pass through chapter 1 and into chapter 2, we've seen the cost of faithfulness to Ruth. And now Ruth has decided to pay the cost of faithfulness, and the tide is beginning to turn. Because the Bible doesn't only talk about the cost of faithfulness. The Bible talks about the reward of faithfulness. And now we're starting to see this emerge. But there's not a reward of faithfulness unless there is the cost of faithfulness. One comes before the other. And God has promised that for anyone who pays the cost of faithfulness to God, that he will make sure, God is no man's debtor, he will make sure that that person receives the reward of faithfulness. Because he said in Mark 10, 28-30, Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we've left all and have followed thee. In other words, what are we going to get? And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there's no man that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands, quite a list, or job or beautiful house your father-in-law bought. didn't say that, but anyway, included. For my sake in the gospels, but he shall receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and persecutions and in the world to come, eternal life. And the great example of this is seen in the life of Abraham. Because Abraham, in Genesis 12, we see him there, he starts out, he says, the Lord said unto Abraham, Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I'll show thee. And I'll make thee a great nation. I'll bless thee, make thy name great. Thou shall be a blessing. I'll bless him that curse, bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. When Jacob was called to go to Egypt, Joseph gave his father a very interesting instruction. He said in Genesis 45, 20, when he was saying, come on, he said to him, also regard not your stuff. Don't care about your stuff. He says, regard not your stuff, for the good of all the land of Egypt is yours. Don't bother about what you're going to leave behind and lose. And the great decision about Moses that made Moses Moses was in Hebrews 11, 24 to 25, when it says, by faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Don't you call me that. Don't you call me the son of Pharaoh's daughter, he would say. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. No, call me the son of 
Jacobet and Amran. He called me a Jew. Don't you call me an Egyptian? Call me a Jew. Why? Because verse 26 of Hebrews 11 says, esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And there is a reward of faithfulness. And Ruth paid the cost of faithfulness, and God made sure that Ruth received the reward of faithfulness. So now we see in chapter 2, verse 2, that Ruth had asked Naomi for permission to go and glean ears of corn. Literally, she was asking Naomi if she could go among the ears of corn. The reapers, the way it worked, they would cut down the corn, bind them into bundles, and there was some corn that just fell on the ground, and the reapers had to just keep on moving. There's just no time to stop and pick up what fell. And besides, God told them, don't stop when that happens. Don't pick up what fell. In fact, even makes a little bit fall here and there because you're supposed to leave it for the poor and let them glean, let them pick it up. This is what he said in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When you reap in the harvest of your land, thou shalt not wholly reap the corners of thy field, neither shalt thou gather the gleanings, what falls to the ground, of thy harvest. Thou shalt not glean thy vineyard, neither shalt thou gather every grape of thy vineyard, should leave them for the poor and the stranger. I'm the Lord your God. You know, he was saying, remember me. And then Deuteronomy 24, he said, when thou cuttest down thine harvest and thy field and hast forgot a sheaf. Oh, look at that. I forgot that sheaf in the field. Look at that. There's still some good corn on that sheaf. I got to go back and get that. He said, don't do it. He said, thou shalt not go again to fetch it. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, for the widow, for the Lord thy God may bless thee in all the work of thine hands. And when thou beatest thine olive tree, thou shalt not go over the boughs again. In other words, we'll take one pass through this tree, we'll get olives we can. Look, there's still some more olives on that tree. What do we do? God says, don't you dare go back. Don't you dare go back. He says, thou shalt not go over those boughs again. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and for the widow. When thou gatherest thy grapes of thy vineyard, you missed a few. There were one of those leaves over there. Well, go back. No, God says, when thou gatherest the grapes of thy vineyard, thou shalt not glean it afterward. It shall be for the stranger, for the fatherless, and the widow. And then he said, why? Thou shalt remember that thou wast a bondman in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command thee to do this thing. In other words, God said, I fed you in Egypt. Now you feed. It's your turn. But not every landowner completely agreed with God on this matter. Some hard-hearted landowners, they wanted to have the greatest harvest. After all, it's money, it's profit. And so they looked at what was left behind as lost. I lost it. And those hard-hearted landowners didn't see as what was left as really supposed to be for the poor and the stranger as a loan to God that he was going to pay back. They didn't quite see it that way. And so those hard-hearted landowners, they put obstacles in the way of the poor and the strangers to keep them from gleaning from after the reapers. I mean, some of those hard-hearted landowners, they didn't allow the poor and the strangers to come in their ground there. And what they did is they planted prickly pear barriers around their fields, made it a little tough for them, around their properties to discourage the poor and the strangers from coming. So Ruth knew about those hard-hearted landowners. And so she told Naomi in verse 2 that she was going to go look for the landowner in whose sight I shall find grace. So she knew that, that the right for the poor and the strangers, of which she, she was both, she was a poor and a Moabite stranger, was a gift of grace. She knew that. 
And she knew that she depended on the grace of the landowner. So just as Ruth knew that she was dependent on the grace of the landowner, we know that we depend on the grace of God and on his kindness, who means it for good. In Romans 5, 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. See, we have eternal life because of the abundance of the grace of God. And Romans 5.21 said that as sin has reigned unto death, even so my grace reigned through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. So just as we once lived under the reign, the domination, the control of sin in our lives, we're now following the Lord Jesus Christ. We live under a different reign, which is the reign of grace. And we have the righteousness of God under that reign in eternal life. Titus 3, 7 says that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the great hope of eternal life. The grace of God results in our justification. The same justification that's spoken of in Isaiah 53, 11, when it says, so by his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It's that justification at the cross where he bore our iniquities that gives us the hope of eternal life. It's that justification at the cross where he bore our iniquities that enables us to look at the grave and death of a loved one, our own grave and death, and say, tauntingly, oh death, bring it on. Where's thy sting? Oh grave, is this the best you got? Where's your victory? And now in verse 3, a very important statement is made. The three words, and she went, starts off, and she went. That means she actually left. (laughs) That means she went. And she actually left Naomi. She went alone. Now, how was she able to do that? How was a single woman, a foreigner, an outcast, a black man in Selma, Alabama, black woman, Selma, Alabama in 1950s, despised foreigner, how is she able to do that? She's only been in Israel with her mother-in-law, but here we read that she's left Naomi and she ventures out alone, and it's not just for sightseeing, but she's going out to beg to be able to pick up food that the reapers have dropped. How was Ruth able to do that? How was she able to have this brave enough to go out alone? Um, How do we, what do we do when we're afraid? When we we do, we feel like, I don't feel brave. I feel like I'm alone. What do we do when we feel like David? When he said in Psalm 55, 6, my heart is sore pained within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me. And horror has just overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I'd fly away, be at rest. You know, what do we do when we're alone and and we feel our hearts hurting inside of us? We're so fearful. And we say with David, it'd just be a lot easier to die than to go through the torments of the terrors of death that have fallen on me. And what do we do? And David said, fearfulness and trembling have just fallen on me. And horror horror is like a great wave. It's just overwhelmed me. And when we say, like, I wish I had wings like a dove, I want to get out of here, fly away from all these troubles. And what did Ruth do? And what did Ruth do when she needed to be brave and she needed to not be afraid and she needed to go out alone and get food for her and Naomi? She did what we need to do. She trusted God. She trusted God. That's what David said in Psalm 56.3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. In Psalm 34.4, I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. 
See, what David did when he was greatly distressed because his wives were taken away from him, it's bad enough to have one wife, but he had two or several, and the wives of his men were taken captive and his own men were planning and he could hear their plans. Well, let's kill David. Here's the problem, let's kill him. How does he recover? In 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spoke, spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. And David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. He encouraged himself. Ruth and David did what Paul did when he was in such trouble, he despaired of his own life. He said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, he said, for we would not, brethren, have you be ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. See, Ruth trusted God and said about Jehovah Jesus, anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Anywhere he leads in this world below, anywhere without him, dearest joys would fade. Anywhere with Jesus, I'm not afraid. Anywhere, anywhere, fear I cannot know. Anywhere with Jesus, I can safely go. Now we read in verse three. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was the kindred of Elimelech. You know, hap is an old English word, means happenstance, which is really not even a word we use today, but anyway, or chance. Hap expresses what it looked like to anyone else who was happening. It looked like it was just a matter of hap. You know, it's just a matter of chance, just a matter of luck. I mean, the dice rolled snake eyes, what can you say? It looked like lucky break. That's what it looked like when she just happened on the land of Boaz. Now, I want to know how that works. How does that work? How did that work out that for Ruth, that she just happened by chance to land on Boaz's property? How did that happen? I mean, if Ruth had not landed on Boaz's property by chance and ended up being the great-grandmother of King David in the line of the Messiah then we better have told those wise men, turn around and go back. There's no king of the Jews born in, the, in Bethlehem. You know, if Ruth had not landed on Boaz's property by chance and ended up carrying out the line of the Messiah, then you and I better not waste our time coming to church because we don't get the get out of hell cards and the tickets to heaven. So I just want to know how that works. How does that work that Ruth just happened by chance to land on Boaz's property? I want to know how that works. How did Eliezer find Rebekah, who became the vital link in the line of the Messiah when he set out with no idea how he's going to find a wife for Isaac? I want to know how the hap stuff works. I want to know, how did Ruth really find her way into the field of Boaz when it was vital for you and vital for me that she did? Vital for our salvation, she found it. Did God put a red light in front of all the fields? She passed until she came to the field of Boaz where God put a green light. You know, was there a voice from heaven that's saying, you're getting warmer, keep blowing, you know? <laughs> there you are, now you're at the right field. Did you have a dream the night before where she saw the right field and so she was going? She didn't have a dream, she didn't have a vision, she didn't see any red light, she didn't see any green light, she didn't hear any voices. So how did she come to the right field of Boaz? I mean, let's say that Charlie Rose is interviewing Ruth on his show tonight. You have to stay up till one in the morning to see it, but anyway. And Charlie Rose says to Ruth, Ruth, that was very important that you chose the field of Boaz. Ruth, I'm sure you had some definite leading 
about choosing the field of Boaz. Can you tell us what that leading was? And Ruth would say, well, Charlie, or maybe he'd call her Mr. Rose. I don't know what she'd say, but anyway. Well, he said, I didn't have any special leading. And and Charlie Rose said, no, you must have a special leading. And then Ruth said, Charlie, you need to go back and read my book, the book of Ruth. (laughs) Again, and don't miss that word hap. Because Charlie, it says my hap was to light on his field. I just happened to go there. Now, that's how it was from a human point of view. It just looked like happenstance. But that's not how it was from God's point of view. It's totally something else. God led Ruth to the right field, and God leads us. But it's not the way a lot of people talk about God's leading today. The Lord's will was for me to say this or do that or go there. Sounds like they heard a voice or they got an email from heaven that says, you know, do this, you know. That's not how it happened to Ruth. As far as Ruth was concerned, Ruth would say in verse 3, I went, I came, I gleaned in the field of the reapers, and my hap was to light on the part of the field belonging to Boaz. At the end of the book of Ruth, then Ruth can look back and see, oh, it was the will of God that for me to light on a part of the field belonging to Boaz. So that's the end of the book. But Ruth would say, at the end, she'd say, there was no half about it. God led me there. But we're not at the end of the book of Ruth in chapter 2 and verse 3. So at this moment, it appears to everybody, including Ruth and everyone else, she, she happed on the part of the field. And today, when you ask King Ahasuerus in heaven how it happened that the readers happened to choose the history of Mordecai, he would say, I didn't choose where the readers were going to read I just asked them to read me something really boring so I could go to sleep. And now I see that those readers were led to choose the critical part so that the people of God, the Jewish people, would not be exterminated and my Savior and the Savior of the world would come through them. But at the time, it was a matter of hap. And at the time, I would say it was chance. But now it's clear to me it wasn't chance at all. We don't have dreams. We don't have visions. We don't hear voices. We don't see red lights and green lights. And we don't really know as we make decisions in life, it's it's God's will or not. We can't honestly say God told me to go here, do this, and say that. We just go and do it and say it, and God leads us. We're like, I being in the way the Lord led me. That's why it's so important for us to pray, to pray to ask God to lead us. That's why one of the most important meetings here at the chapel is the Wednesday night prayer meeting for putting together every week that list. We pray to God to lead The reason we pray for leading and direction is because like Ruth, like King Ahasuerus, like Eliezer, we're not going to say, we're we're, we're not going to know at the time, God is leading me. But like them, we can honestly say, we can honestly say, we don't know. We don't know. As far as we can't say, we can't honestly say it's the Lord's will, do this, do that. We don't know. And as far as God's will is concerned for our lives, if we think that he's going to put up green lights and red lights at every corner, we're wrong. He's not. And he doesn't do it that way. That's what faith is for. That's what faith is for. That's what prayer is for. And now I can almost hear somebody say now, well, if God is not going to give me and give us an indication of which way to go and what to do, I can make some really bad decisions, really bad mistakes. Yes, you can. Yes, we can. That's true. That's what repentance is for. We can always come back and start over again. We have two ways to choose from, and if we choose the wrong way, go back. And if you saw in chapter 2, verse 3, and you saw Ruth going down the road, you saw this, this young lady going down the road from Bethlehem, you would have seen a woman who had no idea which field to walk into. 
And if you'd stop Ruth in verse 3 and say, do you know if you're going into the right field? She said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> she would have said like that. And then if, you, if we asked Ruth, well, how did you choose that field that you went into? And she'd say, well, Naomi and I prayed about it this morning, and all we prayed was for God would send me to a landowner who had a heart and who I could find grace and go glean in his field. So before I left this morning, I prayed about it. And by the way, that's why it's so important for us to pray to God in the morning. It's so important before we leave home. So we'll make right decisions. Like the poem, I met God in the morning when the day was at its best and his presence came like sunrise, like a glory in my breast. All day long, the presence lingered. All day long, he stayed with me. We sailed in perfect calmness or a very troubled sea. Other ships were blown and battered. Other ships were sore distressed. But the winds that seemed to drive them brought me peace and rest. Then I thought of other mornings with a keen remorse of mine when I too had loosed the mooring with the presence left behind. So I think I know the secret. Learn from many a troubled way. You must seek him in the morning if you want him through the day. So Ruth would say, I prayed about it. Before I left this morning, I asked God to lead me. I really don't know. I didn't know which road to take. I got down here. I looked at one field. I said, boy, there's some nice corn in that field. But then I saw it has a prickly pear barrier you know, around it. And there's no poor people in there gleaning there. So I figured that's a hard-hearted landowner. I don't think I'll choose that one. And then over on the other side of the road, I saw another field. It had nice corn in it, and there were a lot of poor people over there gleaning in it. And so I just figured, well, that landowner's a generous man. I might find grace in his eyes, and I need a lot of grace. I'm a Moabitess. I'm an outcast. So I figured that's a landowner who'll show me grace, and so I chose that. I had no idea who owned the field. Meanwhile, in heaven, the angels are holding their breath, saying, oh, we hope she finds the right field. <laughs> and when she does, they give a sigh of relief. No, not really. But what's so wonderful for us is that even though we're like Ruth with uncertainty, God is overruling, God is leading, even though we don't know. We can depend on Psalm 3115. My hand, my times are in his hands. Psalm 37, 23 through 24. The steps of a good man, they're ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall, he won't be, he won't be utterly cast down. The Lord upholds him with his hand. Psalm 121.8, the Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth, even forevermore. Why do we need this? Because of something that's not in us. What's not in us? Jeremiah 10.23, oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It's not in man to walk, to direct his steps. Proverbs 16.9, a man's heart devises his way, the Lord directs his steps. That's why it's important to be flexible in life, not to be so stiff that you can't let God redirect. Scott's verse, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, explains how he does it. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all thy ways. He'll direct thy paths. So for the child of God today who wants a sign or wants some experience or he wants some bright light or some voice or some vision or some dream, forget about it. Must realize God doesn't work that way. God speaks to us through his word if we're walking in fellowship with him, we have no end confessed sin in our lives, we've not grieved the Holy Spirit, we can commit our ways to God. And when we get to a place where we're not sure of what decision to make and what's the best decision we can, and if it's the wrong decision, we go back the other road. But let's be very careful about saying, I know this is the Lord's will. We just can't be sure. Ruth might have chosen the wrong field. 
She might have chosen the field of a hard-hearted, but she would have found that out. Thank God that he's watching over us, and he watched over Ruth, and he's delighting in the way, and he's leading his children. That's our God. That's who we depend on. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your leading in Ruth's life, and thank you for how you lead us too, Lord, each step of the way, because you are the God that sees us and the God that leads us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.